Let's pray. Father, as we come today, remind us again that you are the good shepherd. You shepherded the generations before us. You have shepherded your people um, all the way to our current day. You shepherded our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. You are the one that has been in charge of all of our history. And so we pray that again today you would be a good shepherd for us. God, we pray that you would cover our sins as we just confessed. We, um, we come with sins that other people know about and sins that nobody knows about. And we ask that you would clean us so that we could be completely free of the stain of our sin, from the guilt of our sin, from the shame of our sin. We pray that you would make us to be new people. We pray that you would help us to love righteousness in a way we've never done before. We, we want to want your law. We want to want to live the way that you have called us to live. So God, as, as you point those things out, remind us in the gospel that we can be totally forgiven, totally clean, so that our lives can be made new. God, we pray, I pray today, Lord, that you would, um, that we have a number of people in our church that are sick. We have some that are just starting new rounds of cancer treatment. And we pray, God, that you would be their sustainer. There's, there are, are so many realities that are scary, that are uncertain, bills uh, to pay, gas to buy, appointments to get to, insurance calls to make. God, we pray for those right now who are dealing with these uh, with all of these health issues, we know that they come with it so much mental toil, so much, so much emotion, so much fear, so much uncertainty. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just comfort and cover those who are facing so much. God, we pray for those. The summer is a time where so many of our church have lost loved ones. And I pray, Lord, your comfort on those who grieve today. I pray that as the summer reminds us of funerals that we've done, funerals that we've been to, those loved ones that we miss. God, I pray that you would be the God who wipes away every tear from our eyes and walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. God, in our community, two children have died this weekend, this week. And we pray, I pray, God, your comfort on their families. I don't know them. I do not know uh, the realities that they're walking through. But I pray, Lord, that the God of all comfort would be the God of their comfort. I pray, Lord, that you would give the people in their lives wise words to say and sometimes silence to just sit with them. I pray, Lord, your blessing on them in the middle of an unimaginable tragedy. God, I pray for the country churches around us today. Some of them with four people in them, some of them with 10 and 12, not in any town, but around us. God, I I pray that today you would be honored and worshiped and believed today there. I pray that the gospel would be declared clearly so that your people can be built up. I pray, Lord, that their worship would be built on the reality that God saves sinners and that the God of the universe loves people even out in the middle of nowhere. You didn't just give your son for people in big cities or large towns. You gave your son for people in every place. And so I pray, Lord, for the, the little country churches, the preachers who preach, the listeners who hear. God, I pray that you, um, 
that you would be honored and worshiped and enjoyed, that your glory and goodness would shine out in those places today. And God, I pray for our missionaries that are in Spain today. As the Ruskas gather and as they share the gospel and as they work to start a church there in Spain, God, I pray that they would have the right seeds planted in their own hearts and in their own home. It can be easy to plant seeds of busyness. It's easy to plant seeds of trying harder. It's easier to, to, to plant seeds of self and selfishness. But I pray, Lord, that in their hearts and in their minds, you would guard them in Christ Jesus. That, Lord, that their home would be a place where they love and worship and enjoy you. And that they enjoy the gospel that saves them. And that out of that, gospel seeds are planted far and wide around them. I pray for their neighbors that they share with, that they rub shoulders with. God, I pray that seeds of the gospel would be planted so that you can water them and make them grow. I pray your blessing on their ministry there in Spain because there is so much need in a place where there's religion, but there's not the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray that that would happen there in Spain. And I pray that that would happen here too that we would not be satisfied with church buildings in towns, but that we would only be satisfied when Jesus Christ is known and worshipped. I pray, as I've prayed before God, that every person in our town and county would get the chance to hear the gospel, that every town would have a good, faithful church, and every church would have a godly, faithful pastor, so that you can be glorified and worshipped all through West Central Illinois. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I used to have a neighbor who he and I would like help each other out in the yard, mainly because I had the ignorance and he had the knowledge. And so we would be, and I, I had the, I, he was in his 80s, and so I had the strength if he needed some help with something. And so we would grow corn and share with him, and he would share tools and knowledge and teach me things I didn't know how to do or how to fix. And he had two tillers. One of them is the kind that had no paint left on it. You know, like it was probably 50 years old and it spent most of the year outside with a metal bucket on the end to protect the engine. You guys, you know, maybe you have some power tools like this. And this is the one that he and I would usually use to till things. And you, you would start it by feel, you know, like you gotta, you gotta get the throttle just right. And you pull the chain a ton of times until you finally get this, this engine started. It's all done by feel. And I got that one down so that I, I, I could start this one, whereas he couldn't start it anymore because it took both feel and brute strength. You guys know that kind of an engine. Well, one year, uh, because it was a snowbird and because, he, um, because of some health issues, they were leaving. Well, I, they left because it was a snowbird. But he said, hey, if you need to use any of my tools, you know, go ahead and use them. Like, it's totally fine. Uh, and when spring came around because of health issues, they didn't move back. And so it came time to till, and I was like, I want to expand my garden. I want my garden to be bigger. And so let's till this area that had not been tilled probably ever. So hardest ground you could imagine, okay? Super, super hard ground. And the tiller that we normally use didn't work. It just, it couldn't break through. It couldn't break through. And I was like, well, you know, we never used his big tiller. We never used the one in the, in the garage. And so I was like, I can do that one. This one still had all the paint on it. 
you know, it's got multiple speeds. This one's got the tines in the rear, and you can adjust the depth. And it started so fast. I'm like, this is going to be great. The engine is bigger. And uh, Emma still sometimes laughs at this. She goes, she goes, you were pulled across that yard so fast. That thing goes flying, and it's like you're just hanging on for dear life. And she didn't know this. I reminded her of this uh, recently. It's like, it was actually called the Bronco. And I was like, and I think the creators of it were like, this will be funny. <laughs> Guys will buy this, and it is going to like break their necks. It's gonna... And so I was, I'm pretty sure I spent an hour thinking, well, it's just the dirt. It's just the dirt. It's so hard. It'll, it'll get better. It'll get better. And I just kept getting pulled across the yard, pulled, pulled across the yard, pulled across the yard. And finally, I was like, I need the instruction manual. I have no idea what's happening. Surely this is not how this thing is intended to use. So I get online, and uh, I find the instruction manual, probably watched some YouTube videos to try and figure out, how does this tiller work without breaking your neck? And it turns out there is a way to do it. You just, it's just different than the tiller that I knew. And it wasn't until I decided, okay, I look like a fool here in the neighborhood getting pulled off my feet. My neck's about to be broken. My wife is laughing at me. I really need the instructions. I was thinking of that story this week because so many times we if you're like me you go through things and you end up in trouble and it's only when you've been in trouble a long long enough time that you go wait what am I supposed to be doing again what did the instructions say how do I handle this if you're like me you go through you 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 get into something and you go maybe you get into an argument with your spouse and you go oh I know how to get out of this and it's only when you get in so deep that you go wait what are the instructions again you, you get into a situation, some kind of anxiety, some kind of worry, some kind of difficulty, and you're like, oh yeah, I got this. I know how to do this. And it's only when you're in over your head that you go, what are the instructions again? What do I do again? Today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 25 that gives us a roadmap for the troubles that we face. If you're like me, you get in trouble and you figure, oh, I know the way out. And then you end up realizing, actually, I don't know the way out of this trouble. I don't know how to deal with this anxiety. I don't know how to deal with despair and depression. I don't know how to deal with temptation. What am I supposed to do? Psalm 25 gives us that roadmap. So go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 25. seems like so many of David's psalms deal with trouble, but that is the story of David's life. And ultimately, if we're honest, I think it's the story of our lives. And so today we're Psalm 25, starting in verse 1. Psalm 25 of David. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful 
toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, give us your roadmap again. Give us your instructions again. Let us not be ashamed to say, God, teach us. We don't know what to do. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage calls to you and I and says, every time you face trouble, trust in the Lord who teaches, sustains, and forgives. David calls to us and says, every time you face trouble, trust in the Lord who teaches, sustains, and forgives. What I want to show you from these verses today is three reasons to trust in trouble. I'm sorry, three reasons to trust in trouble. First reason we see in verses 1 through 10 is trust because the Lord teaches. Notice David's requests here at the beginning. So many of them have to do with ways and paths. They are, they are requests for wisdom and say, God, I don't know what to do. You see, verse 4, he says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Verse 5, guide me in your truth and teach me. He says, skip down, he says in verse 9, he guides the humble in what is right. Verse 10, all the ways of the Lord. In each of these, David is calling out and saying, God, I put my trust in you and I'm asking for your help. And he says, because I need to know the way. What David is teaching us here, what God is teaching us here is that knowledge of God's ways comes before the transformation. Knowledge of God and His character and the things that God wants and the directions that we go comes before we are transformed to be like Him. And so David says, God, transform, show me the way I need to go. Because I don't know. There are... And so David asks God for the help and says, God, I need to know. And so I wonder if some of you today are saying, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do with my job. I don't, I don't know what decision to make about this or that. I don't know what decision to make about retirement. Is it time? Is it not yet? You make a decision about your kids, the school they go to. You, you don't know what to do in your marriage. How do I, how do I love her, love him? Do, do I share this? Do I not share this? Maybe you're in a situation where you say, I don't know what to do. And God says, come to me who will teach you my ways. Come and ask of me to teach you my ways. But notice in these, this verse, first section, then David reminds himself of the character of God. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. What is David's confidence that he's going to be taught the right way? He says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Verse 10, I love verse 10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. David is reminding himself of the character of God. Over the last three summers, as we've walked through Psalms, we've seen that one of, if not the most important word in the book of Psalms, is this word faithful. That's the word we've seen show up over and over. It's hesed. The loving kindness of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord. And David says, I am going to put my trust in the God who teaches because all of His ways are hesed. All of His ways give those who deserve nothing 
everything. That is what the Lord is like. And so David says, my confidence that I will be taught the ways of the Lord is his faithfulness. It's his steadfast love. It's his loving kindness. All of the ways of the Lord are steadfast and faithful, are loving and faithful. And so here today, if you need to know the way, look to the character of God who is loving and faithful to teach and say, God, show me the way. If you're struggling with temptation and sin today, if you're struggling with doubt and despair today, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful, even to those who don't deserve it. And so say, God, teach me your way. If you struggle with a a certain sin and you say, God, show me the way, all his ways are loving and faithful. You can trust him to show you the way through this and the way out of this. David begins this and says, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust And God, I trust you to teach me. God, I trust you. I trust your loving kindness and faithfulness to be what is going to lead me. My wife and I joke all of the time about the trip that we took right before we had Ellie. And so this was like two or three weekends before Ellie, she actually came early. So we thought we had plenty of time, but we went, hey, let's just, I was working two jobs at the time and we said, let's, Let's take two nights and go and get away and just reconnect and enjoy life before the baby comes. And so this was in the days where only the fancy people had smartphones. And so we got online, I got online and I printed off my directions. You guys remember? I mean, a lot of us remember maps too. But like I got, I said, this is where we're starting. This is where we're going to end. And I printed off the directions and I ended up in somebody's front yard, and I had no idea where we were. And this is the middle of, you know, central Texas. You know, I'm kind of worried I'm going to get shot because I showed up in front of their house, and I have no idea where to go. And I say, pull out the map, and we're going to drive based on the sun until we find a road that we recognize, and we'll get there a different way. And so what should have taken an hour took uh, at least two hours. And we joke because at that point, we had been married a year and a half, and I was a Google Maps guy, and she was a MapQuest girl, okay? And so she was like, any time in the coming years we were going on a trip, she would say, where'd you get the directions? Is this a Google or is this MapQuest? You know, like, can't, because if you got it from Google, I don't trust it. And with good reason. I was thinking of that story. Because here, David says, not, do, is it Google or is it MapQuest for your directions? But is it the Lord? Are you going to the reliable, loving, faithful God who is righteous in all His ways and tr- put your trust that He'll show you the way? David, David, I imagine, asks us and says, where is your trust to teach you? Is it what you see in social media or online? Is it something that you listen to in a YouTube show or in a podcast or on a radio show? And they say, this is how to do it. This is how to fix it. Or do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, show me your ways? Do you listen to your heart that says, oh, this is what you should do? Or do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I put my trust in you. Show me your ways. So David first calls to us and says, put your trust in the Lord who teaches. Second reason to trust in every trouble we see is trust because the Lord sustains. Look at verses 12 to 22. Verse 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? 
He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only He will release my feet from the snares. Verse 16, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Verse 20, guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Verse 22, deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Here, David is again saying, God, I'm asking you to sustain and save me. He says, he says um, in verse 15, the Lord is going to be the one who will re- release my feet from the snare. The Lord is going to pluck me out of the danger that I'm in. Dane, David is going over and over in these verses and saying, God, you're going to have to be the one to sustain and hold me up. You're going to have to be the one to forgive me. David turns to the, on, the right and only source to sustain him. David finishes on the note in verse 22, Deliver Israel, O God from all their troubles. David speaking for all of his people and says, God, you're going to have to be the one to save and to protect your people. And David says, my hope is not in my sword and not in my mighty men. It's not in the rocks that are in my sling. It's not in myself, David says. It's in the God who protects and sustains. That verse 22, I think, is actually really important to understanding this. Because if you're like me, you read this and you go, David, I know you are not blameless. David is speaking on behalf of the true Israel in this. David is speaking on behalf, not of here is my, but David is speaking on the true king uh, who standing before the people of God and says, God, you're going to have to be the one to guard and sustain and hold up our lives. David could go to many sources. He was tempted to do it. His predecessor, Saul, was tempted to do it. His son, who, took, who tried to steal the throne from him, tried to do it with his own strategies of manipulating the people and winning them over to his side. But David turns to the only true source of strength and safety, the only true protection. So I ask you, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go this week? to protect and save and sustain you, to get you through. Will bitterness do it? Will control do it? Will trying harder protect you? Will more money be the thing that holds up your life? Will your pride protect you? Or will you go to the only true source, the Lord? The Lord who who confides in those who fear Him and makes His covenant known to them. It's the Lord who releases our feet from the snare. It's the Lord who can take away our sins. The only true source to save is the Lord. It's what we see throughout the Bible when we look in the, the book of Daniel and we see the story of Daniel's friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
faced with the greatest king on earth who says, bow to me or I will throw you in a furnace. Their response is, the Lord will save us. Not our obedience, not not our strategy, not king. Let me just tell you, you don't understand. Why can't we just manipulate this a little bit? The Lord is going to be our only strategy here. We're going to put our hope in Him to sustain our lives. And so, Psalm 25 asks you and I, will you put your trust in the Lord to sustain whatever trouble you're facing? Whatever medical diagnosis is coming while you wait from the doctor, will you say, God, I'm going to trust that you have numbered my days and so I can trust you with them. If you look at retirement and go, when and how and how long is this going to hold out? And you go, God, what is going on here? Put your trust in the Lord to sustain. If you need strength to get out of bed in the morning, because the, the days are so hard, your heart is so heavy, put your trust in the Lord and say, God, Will you release my feet from this snare? Only you can do it. The third reason to trust in every, in every trouble is trust because the Lord forgives. Look at verse 11. I did this out of order because I think this is really important. This is the center of this psalm. This is a poem, and the very middle part of it is the highlight of the entire thing. So I wanted to highlight it by putting it here at the end. Look at verse 11. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. This is this. David is talking about his troubles. And he says, God, I need to know the way. He says, God, I need you to sustain me. But the thing he highlights most in verse 11 is, God, my greatest problem is me. Can you forgive me? God, can you forgive me? This one. You see, I think David understands that David's greatest problem is not everybody else. It's not Bathsheba. It's not his son. It's not his other son. It's not his treacherous advisors. It's not what his predecessor did. David's greatest problem is himself. And he says, God, can you forgive me? God, can you forgive me in the middle of all of this mess I've made of my life? God, if you're going to sustain me and teach me, most of all, I need you to forgive me so I can walk with you. You see, in every one of your troubles, your greatest problem is your own sin. In every one of my troubles, my greatest problem is my sin. When there's a problem at home, the problem isn't anybody else in my house. The biggest problem is me. God, forgive me. Set me free. Change my mind. Change my heart. Help expose my sin and set me free. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my sin even though it is great. The greatest problem in our church is not money. It's not people. It's not strategy. It's that sinners are here needing to be forgiven. God, can you forgive us? God, can you forgive us? And then David, 
He makes that the middle of this psalm. Forgive my sin. Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. But then he's doing that because he knows all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. He is counting on the character of God to save him. And so you and I are called today to look at ourselves and say, I am my greatest problem, God. Can you forgive me? Uh, A few years back, I was going through some serious problems. And some people were sinning against me. And I was really mad about it. And I didn't handle it well in my own heart. Um, And a pastor friend of mine said, Joe, you're a sinner too. And I didn't want to hear it. I was so mad that he would say, in light of what he knew of this road that we were walking and the sin that was being done against me, Steve was like, Joe, you are a sinner too. And I hardly talked to him for six months after that. Wanted nothing to do with him because I was so angry that he would, that he would in the middle of this mess, so that he would say that to me. I couldn't see it. And it took six months until I realized I actually am the biggest problem in my mess. It's not what somebody's doing to me or what somebody once did to me. It's me. I'm the sinner. I actually told him this week. I was like, Steve, that was the most painful and kindest thing somebody could have said to me. Is you're like, Joe, you are a sinner. And you too need to be forgiven. David was like Psalm 25. Or I'm sorry, Steve was like Psalm 25 to me. And it took months until I realized and I said, Steve, I'm sorry for how I treated you when you were being faithful to come to me and point out the truth that God, I need you to forgive me. And so this passage calls to you and I to take a clear-eyed look at ourselves in the middle of our troubles and say, God, can you forgive me? I need to be fixed. God, who's, who's good and upright, who instructs sinners in His way, instruct me in your ways. God, whose ways are always loving and faithful, be loving and faithful to me, a, a great sinner. We are called to trust in that and say, God, I am my greatest trouble. Please forgive me. Which gives, leads us to the question of how. Right? God, forgive me because you are a grandpa who is obligated to love me because you're supposed to. God, can you forgive and love me because it's not that big of a deal and you're grading on a curve? God, can you show me love and faithfulness because my grandmother was a good woman? It asks the question, how could God be upright, good, and and faithful in all His ways and still forgive sinners like you and me? If all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to those who fear Him and keep His word, which we've seen in Psalm 25, what hope is there for you? You see, the Old Testament tells us what? God is upright, faithful, and forgiving. But it's the New Testament that tells us how. It's the New Testament that tells us how. David believed by faith, just as Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Isaiah would. But we see it in full because Jesus shows us how God can be both upright and His love can be for unfaithful people. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he was cut off so that sinners could walk in his record. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of everything, but he died so that you don't have to. Jesus has no sin of his own to pay for, so he died and can say, Father, forgive their iniquity, though it is great, for my sake. Jesus speaks over those who are his and sings, all of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards them because I kept the commands of the covenant. So that's your record and your good news today. This says in your troubles, trust the Lord who teaches, trust the Lord who sustains, and trust the Lord. Look at Jesus and see that's the God who forgives. Maybe today you realize that you're not his. You say, what does it mean for me, for Jesus to be the reason that God can forgive? You say, I want to be forgiven. Let today be the day that though your sin is great, you say, God, forgive my sin for Jesus' sake. The Bible calls that repentance and faith. It's a changing of the mind, a turning away from our sin and a trusting in Jesus only to save us. Saying, God, forgive me for Jesus' sake. I will follow Him as my Savior and as my Lord. Let today be the day for you that you say, God, for the sake of your name, forgive my sin, though it is great. Let today be that day of forgiveness and release for you. So you stop carrying around the weight of your own sin and you realize Jesus, Jesus carried it in my place. And so now in my trouble, I can trust that God to teach and sustain and forgive me. So this passage calls us, in every, t- every time you face trouble, trust in the Lord who teaches and sustains and forgives. I want you to imagine what changes if that's true in your heart and in your life. I once knew somebody that said, everybody is either in a storm, going into a storm, or coming out of a storm. And if that's true... What changes in the next trouble that you face or in the trouble that you are facing right now if you were to trust in the Lord who teaches and sustains and forgives? Imagine what changes. That trouble, that storm doesn't feel quite so dark when you realize I am not alone. That trouble doesn't seem quite so scary when we realize that all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful and Jesus is the guarantee of it. Imagine what changes in the trouble that may be coming down the road. When our hope is not in control, it's not in strategy, it's not in money, it's not that we have enough people in our family to pick up the pieces, it's that God says, I'm going to be the one teaching and forgiving and sustaining you. That sounds like a different way of facing our troubles. There's still troubles. But they're troubles that are not alone. Let's pray. God, as we hear from your word, I pray that you would help us to be doers of it and not hearers only. God, I pray that for those in here today that are facing great trouble, young and old, children, teenagers, and adults, God, I pray that we would seek you and love you and lean on you, confident that for Jesus' sake, you will teach us and save us and forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen.